Hey, Beer and Ballet fans, welcome back to part two of our interview with Kevin, Rebecca, and Ricky Watson on our great adventure to New York City to see American Utopia. As always, I'm your host, Amber Daniels, and I just want to give you a quick reminder that this was recorded on Zoom, so if there's any, you know, mic issues or anything like that, that's the reason why, but hey, Listen, we got to chat with these folks from Jacksonville, Florida, and Ricky and I were here in Baltimore, Maryland, and I am still here outside. Do you hear the birds? It's a lovely summer day, and guess what? We have a bunch of summer classes popping up here pretty soon. Listen throughout the podcast for more information. Other than that, we hope you enjoy. Talk to you soon. Well, that's why we sat on that part of the stage, and then we also got front row of the mezzanine because why not get a better view? Which I think is a good segue into the lighting and the set. Ah, girl, I'm opening my next can of beer as we start to make Talk about a collective joygasm there. (laughs) So the way that's that the choreographer put it together, David's vision, and the way that Spike filmed it, it really, I think in order to get a full and proper appreciation of everything you do kind of need to have that bird's eye view a little bit. I'm sure front row seat is also beyond amazing being in the orchestra, but I think being up a little bit higher for that show, just so you can better see the formations um, and everything. But beyond that, what blew my mind seeing the movie and seeing it in person is how, I think how you define a set to me was changed in my brain of what that means. You know, you think of when you're looking at a show, a set is, you know, what are the the backdrops and the table and chairs and the rotating crazy stage and, you know, all, all these layers and all this stuff. And really they had, a layer of chains that were falling down from the back and the side and the people and that was it and what they managed to do with different blocking and unbelievably incredible lighting is that they made the set look different for every single piece even though nothing really technically changed all you did was move around the bodies and had different lighting and it just completely changes the feel the tone it just yeah, it just blew my mind. I've never seen, I've never thought so intentionally about lighting. It always feels like it's kind of just an additional layer. It's just to add a little bit more onto whatever the mood is or the tone or whatever. Instead, it was the mood or the tone. And it just felt like it was so much more at the forefront, which I've, I've never thought of lighting that way. And I before. think that, and I told, we've talked about this ad nauseum and I couldn't agree more. That was one of the things I think we both talked about mm-hmm. even after the first time we saw the oh, film. Yeah. And uh, I think that the most shiny example of that for me, there's many, but um, is uh, later on in the show, the track called Blind, mm-hmm. where they put the, uh, they put that light at the front of the, the sort of that, like that shielded or cuffed light at the front of the stage that basically creates like up lighting. Yeah, it's like it the projects, 1920s. Yeah. Like, yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. It, it projects back towards the dancers and it gives such incredible 
depth. Again, you're just used to seeing people and your own perspective from where you are, how tall they are and that sort of thing. But if they are, um, you know, closer to the light, their shadow projects so much so that their shadow is the height of the entire space of the stage. Right. So you have some people that, yeah, that are downstage that have these huge shadows, but then they intentionally put maybe some of the percussionists in the back where they have shadows that are similar size to their own, you know, their own bodies. And I kept trying to force myself to stop looking at the people and start looking at the shadows in that particular piece, because it's just so beautiful to see this, um, this interesting like layering and juxtaposition. And uh, you have these different um, sizes of people and instruments. And it's, it's just, it's art. I would love to see, I would love, to, I'm sure there probably is this exists somewhere, but I'd love to see uh, like a sit-down interview with the people who handled the light, the lighting yes. engineers for that. Show. Oh, I want to find because, that. Because, because, who's the lighting designer? So who's, who's I, I'm holding the program, everyone. So <laughs> I, 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 yes. Who is the light designer? They are every bit. We should name name all of them. Name everyone <laughs> involved. Hold on. The I'm next the the next hour and a half of this podcast is just going to be us naming going naming through the program. Everyone. Lighting designer, everyone. ready? Rob Sinclair. Um, is a British lighting designer. I'm reading this from the program, so no copyright. Um, is a British lighting designer. His uh, previous work with American Utopia won a Knight, a, a Knight of Illumination Award in 2018 and a Creative Arts Emmy Award in 2021. Wow. Yes. And again, yeah, every bit is important. Oh, pause. Your... You're going to love this, Kevin. He worked on Game of Thrones live concert experience. I believe that. Damn. Yeah. Well, and again, you put a light at someone's uh, at the feet of your performers and it projects. That takes a tremendous amount of time to figure out. And then does that work with everything that comes before it? Does it work with everything that comes? It's the simplest idea, right? There's no crazy tracking. There's no, it's literally a light at the foot of the stage. Yeah. And it makes, yeah. It, it, and it makes that, you know, and that song, as you know, is sort of a, a throwback to, you know, in my mind, at least, to like, uh, you know, sort of upbeat soul and funk music. You know, it's got the synthesized horn section, yeah. you know, and um, and it just has that little, you know, some of those little funk guitar patterns in it and whatnot. And it's just one of those songs. And um, the, the the way that the, the, the stage, you know, goes from sort of like maybe like a daytime, quote unquote, or a sleepy nighttime, maybe quote unquote. I don't remember exactly what's before blind that, that it goes into, but um, the, the way that the way that it sort of creates a noirish, you know, every day is a miracle. That's all right. right. So we go, yeah, yeah. So we go from day into we're in the nightclub. And the shadows are being projected up on the wall, and it's dark, it's nighttime. We we know it's nighttime because of the lighting and the shadows and things. And so the way, like, like Rebecca was saying, the way that just with lighting and positioning of, of, the, of the players, you get this completely different feeling, you know, visually and, you know, sonically as well um, from just a change in lighting. Yeah. 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 How about the use of the ghost light? I was just gonna say that, Rebecca, yeah. Yeah, what number is that? I can't remember when they did that. 
I believe the bullet. Yeah, I believe it's so called bullet. bullet. Yeah, bullet. Yeah, yeah, it's bullet. Okay. Yeah, and that, and that's just again an example of just really, I don't want to say simple, simplified it choreography, is. where you literally just have a ghost light that comes into center stage, and David Byrne is singing, and the rest of the musicians are just slowly walking in a circle, while this really beautiful, touching, sad song is happening. And eventually, one by one, they kind of circle around, and one by one, each one of the members walks off stage. And once the stage is just David Byrne, then slowly, someone um, you know from off stage starts to pull the ghost light off. And at the very end, once the light gets to the edge of the stage, it just cuts off. Mm -hmm. it's, just, yeah. it's so simple and it's so perfect. You know, it's so moving with that like minimalism. Yeah. And it's it like. Yeah, go ahead. It gets the point across. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it gets the point across to people who aren't involved in theater too. Because like, if you are involved in theater, you know what a ghost light is. Mm -hmm. And a ghost, I mean, at least this is my experience with it. And this is why like, it's so touching to me. It's like, it. The, whenever a theater quote unquote closes for the evening for folks who don't know, is that every theater is supposed to have what's called a ghost light. And it literally is just a stand with one light bulb and it, you place it in the center of the stage, center, center, and it's supposed to, you know, just like be there for the spirits of the theater. Um, whether you believe that like the spirits of that theater are it within that light or like are excited about that light and they're attracted to that light and like that's their time to be on that theater space or there's so many different like myths with that yeah. whole idea. So being a theater person and seeing that scene is so heart-wrenching that like I cried that was the point where I cried I cried many times watching it live but especially after COVID and like not being in the theater for a long time that was a rough one for me to watch yeah. but even not being part of theater like you said Kevin the point came across and it really like just having that solo light there's a solo singer on stage there's a group of people, again, this idea of the circle, like this, this whole tribal like circle idea where there's this community happening around That's, this one person. And that, that, that right there is essentially to me in a nutshell, the power of this show is that somehow through everything we've been talking about, the songs, the performance vocally and musically of those songs in concert with the lighting uh, and the way that the lighting makes the st stage seem to change. All of that stuff working together, the way that the show is just being performed, you, you sort of just get it as a viewer and you may not even be able to say easily from a verbal standpoint, <clears throat> what it is that you like so much about it and what the show is offering and giving, you just know that you get it. Yeah. You know it I mean? moves like, you. It moves you. Yeah. It moves you and, you know, not for the fear of sounding horribly cliched, it speaks to the soul in that sense. It just... You know, and after thought and reflection, you know, we can sit around and talk about specifically what the show says and a lot of different things, of course, um, and what it does for each of us uh, collectively and individually. 
But like I said, just to be able to create something and create and perform something like that, that just says something without flat out saying it, but says it so easily. And just as an audience member, no matter what you're, where you come, I don't think, you know, no matter where you're, you come from or what your background is as a human being, I think most people could sit and watch that show and, and find joy and enjoyment out of it in some way. It's, and it's, I think that's because the people who are creating and performing it find joy themselves. Yeah. Right. And, and bad art gives you everything that you, you know, there's too much exposition. There's, uh, it's, it's too much, right. They're always trying, they're, they're always performing at you in bad art. And David Byrne says, Hey, I, we have all this music, you know, it, you, you're all familiar with it. We're not going to, but we're still going to surprise you and whatever you want in the, you can connect to any part of the show. You can connect to none of it, but just, just have fun with us for, for an hour and a half and, and the watching them be joyful in their performance, because it's not always a happy story. It's not always, <clears throat> it is that sort of microcosm of life that he talks about at the very beginning. We're all on the same road to death. We're all born. We all go, you know, and everything in between is just sort of both up to us and not at all. So there's there's so much joy in that musical and there is all, a lot of self-reflection, right? Yeah, I think David Byrne at one point says, I have to change. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and they sing a protest song and and he he encourages us to vote because you have to be in control of it. He gives the audience as much ownership in the show to watch it, to experience it, to connect with it as he has, you know, for his, his performers. And it's, mm -hmm. it's, it is, it's moving because they care about it. They care about every, every simple quote unquote, simple thing. They care about it infinitely and they've rehearsed it. They've practiced, right. It's, right. it's, oh, it's fantastic. And it is, it's surprising. It changes your breath every other performance. Yeah, it is, it is. And it's just, it, it's just one of those things. That's why I tell people it's just, it's one of, it's one of my favorite things in, um, in the world of arts and entertainment. Yeah. It's one, of, it's one of my favorite things that I think I've ever experienced. I had a, I had a similar experience as an audience member in a show in Chicago called Infinite Wrench. And I remember walking away from that show feeling differently than I did with normal, regular Broadway show, right? Because you can't, unless you really just don't like the show itself, if you walk away from watching professional singers and dancers do their job and you're like, oh, I didn't really like it, then it wasn't the show for you, right? But I've never seen a Broadway show like that. Every Broadway show I walk away from, Lion King, Phantom of the Opera, you're like, oh, I'm charged up, I'm ready to go. I want to go, go do art. I want to see more of it. Yeah. But I walked away from this show, Infinite Wrench in Chicago, with like a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. Like I felt like a human being that had not just seen art, really good art, but participated in it and was a part of it. And I felt, and I didn't realize it until we, you know, thinking about it later on. It's the same way I felt walking out of American Utopia. It wasn't just an experience that I got to see and be a part of, like Lion King, where they walk through the aisles. And you're, so you, as an audience member, you feel like part of the thing, but it was actually like almost a participatory, I, I like, I could have been on stage with everybody There's and I walked charge. that, and, and, and I realized that's what he's, that, that's the connection with other human beings. We naturally had to, I kept looking around, I've never seen an audience just move as much as, as that. Well, and think, and, and, and think about how cool that is for you to say that, Ricky, because as we already stated earlier, at the beginning of the show, um, after he finishes performing here, he comes out with his first monologue and starts talking about, um, you know, the, 
the neural connections mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in our brain and how a baby has way more neural connections in its brain in the first X amount of years of its life than a full-grown adult does. Because as we grow older, we lose these neural connections over time. And he poses the question later on, is it possible we can regain some of those? And you just talked about the feeling that you had with the show you saw in Chicago and the way that it made you feel and how you felt similarly when you walked out of American Utopia. And so I wonder, is that maybe you gaining a, a neural connection back? You know, right. that's, and, that's the hook, that's the... Yeah. That's and the, I'd love to think that, and that sounds all warm and fuzzy and super cute and nice and everything. And maybe it is the case and maybe it isn't. It sure is a nice thing to think about though, I think. Well, and that's you just, made, you just made like a linking image. It just made me think of the linking, um, like chains in the, chain. in the set it's design space, too. We talked about yeah. how we think that there may be some purposeful, uh, you know, allegory there with, with, with the chain links. Yeah. Oh, I think but so. There is, there is no aspect of that show that hasn't been thought of, thought mm -hmm. about, worked on, worked through, ex and experimented with for hundreds of hours, yeah. right? The only thing that they can't, I would assume that they can't necessarily predict is the audience. And the only thing that they give themselves liberty to do is to experience one another while they're performing. Cause that can change every night, right? While you're just looking at somebody making eye contact. Mm -hmm. But you don't, you don't put that, you don't put thousands of yards of chain and not have that not make, be every part of the thematic idea is well thought out, but they don't sit there and tell you the whole thing. You right. get to discover it. You get to eat the meal and figure it out as you go, which is what I would argue makes Shakespeare Shakespeare. It makes, you know, any amazing piece of music a good piece of music is because when you get that surface layer, oh yeah, I enjoy the music, the dance, the this very specific thing. But as you start to dig, you just realize how rich that soil is over and yeah. over. And shitty movies don't do that. Shitty movies, you like a Transformer movie, while it's entertaining, does you, there ain't no like real special symbolism and that kind of stuff. <laughs> right you know just because something's entertaining doesn't mean it's deep but then a show like this does it is entertaining and it hits way differently than it gets deeper every time yeah well and also the childhood stuff that you're talking about like it goes back to what i said in the beginning of this podcast which was i don't know where this music came from but somehow in some way it's in my history and that was my like deep connection with this show was like oh burning down the house shit i heard about I, I parted that song all the time. All the time. Like I went to parties back in high school and that song was the bop. It's ubiquitous. That right? was it. And it brings me back to my childhood. And then, yeah, like the more that you repeat watching the show, the more you repeat, I'm sure, performing the show, you're going to find moments where like your childhood pops in a little bit. And in that moment of play and that moment of excitement and that moment of, you know, discovery pops up. You get to discover um, things, yeah. Yeah. Well, and like what I'm discovering through this pod, we've talked about this show at nauseum, podcast listeners. Like, li probably this is probably like the thousandth time we've talked about. I can't this stop. Show. I can't we stop. We can't stop. <laughs> but in this conversation, I I'm finding this moment, and it was the moment where Kevin, you talked about like tattoos. The cir the circle is the hardest fucking tattoo you can probably get. Right. And then Rebecca, you talking about how the chains and like, it's not a perfect circle, but it's like some sort of circular-ish shape, mm -hmm. like somehow in some way and choreography, like the, the choreography of the show is all circular. Like there's, there's so much about like this circular pattern 
within this show. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's important because it circle is community. Like circle is, is this huge symbol of community and journey and journey and, you know, all of that. Um, and the journey can be like a little skip, like that dancer was doing. Like there can be little twists and turns within the journey that you have. Oh, and a lot of the choreography is fairly repetitive. Yeah, totally. But it evolves as you experience the musical itself, right? As you, you know, you see the you see one gesture in a very joyful moment, and then you see a couple sad pieces, you know, a couple sad songs, sadder songs, I guess. Um, and then you see that piece again, and it it hits differently, right? Yeah, the whole it's yeah. I, I kind of like the fact that the choreography is sort of like verse, chorus, verse. Yeah. Yeah. You don't really see that. You, choreography is normally very linear, you know, and, and you I, know, sometimes they'll repeat things over and over again, I guess, or maybe in slightly different fashions. But um, but in this show, it's, it's almost necessary, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, and the choreographer who is... Annie B. Parson. Annie B. Parson. Um, well, I, but there's also plenty of other collaborators, which, in, for instance, Chris, one of the dancers, helped out with a lot of the choreography. And there's another person, which I'm going to look up while you time stall as I look it up. Keep when, I, when I was watching, after we had watched the film version, the Spike Lee film version, I went back and like, oh, I'm going to go watch some old Talking Heads music videos. And they're freaking awesome. They're so much fun to watch. And I realized how much David Byrne does choreography. Like he likes to dance. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And, it's, and it's yeah. such an expression. It's it's not like a highly trained, I'm going to do choreography, like the Backstreet Boys kind of stuff, obviously. But it's him wanting and knowing that he needed to move while he sang. Yeah. And the choreo- when, he, when, he, when you take that over 40 years and then put it on Broadway, you don't have to do anything different. You just have to continue to express yourself and you can't be afraid of going, I, this song makes me want to do this gesture and I'm just going to keep doing it over and over and over again. Well, and, that, and that, sorry, go ahead, Amber. No, well, I was going to say the, the name that we were looking for was Elizabeth Demond and she's the associate choreographer. But I, I wanted to also point this out is that anyone who is considered like a choreographer on this show has worked with David Byrne before. Mm-hmm. So like there's, there's this really interesting con like, Annie B. Parson worked with David Byrne, Here Lies Love um, in 2012, the world tour. Um, Elizabeth Dedman worked with him. Where did it happen? Um, world tours, David Byrne. I mean, multiple that even Annie B. Parsons, like if it's not associated with David Byrne, Annie B. and Elizabeth both work together. And then Chris has like has been working with Annie B as well. So I mean, everyone within this cast of people who do movement um, have some sort of relationship with each other or with David. And I think that's really important. I say this as a choreographer of both dancers and theater people, is that a lot of theater folks get terrified, especially in musical theater, when choreography comes up. And they really need to trust the person who's giving them the movement um like because I'm one of those choreographers where I give them the really hard shit first Mm -hmm. and then I I kind of break it you know give them a night y'all just give them a night (laughs) to like go practice it and then the next day see where they're at and then go okay cool so we're gonna make this work for you here's how we kind of break it down and manipulate it and I feel like that the movement collaborators within this show did such a good job of not only for David, who's an older body mm-hmm. um, person, 
who's willing to do everything. Who moves better than I do. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, he's a fucking genius. You and me both, bitch. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hope to be as spry as David when we're his age. Well, apparently, apparently drinking le- fresh lemon and, and or what is it, lemon, ginger, turmeric, or ginger, mm-hmm. ginger, he has a, I don't know if you saw that, he has a ginger turmeric tea ritual he does before every show, and he did a video last week, I think, mm-hmm. and from the cast members and displayed at a table with his little knife and his grater and he cuts he cuts things open and grates fresh grates the turmeric and the ginger and makes like this tea that stains the plastic cup because of all the turmeric yeah we need to do that yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're adopting that so yeah. and 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 i'm like thinking well you know that's got to be the secret right there you know you can go drink ginger fresh ginger turmeric tea dance till you're 80. but yeah like having that trust and again it goes back to the entire cast and like probably tonight that they all felt is like the amount of trust that the camaraderie of it. the camaraderie yeah all of that with this cast is like mind-boggling to me mm-hmm. and the and mission ricky, behind this musical too and ricky your your point you were making there about you know david just you watching the old Talking Heads videos and seeing that David just David just moves and he's yeah. always been a mover. And I think that's a really cool. I totally agree. It's, it's actually one hundred percent true. And um, really cool too that a you know like a rock and roll musician being so into moving. But that you know that just speaks to why you know I I you know as you kind of said earlier, Talking Heads started off as like a really geeky punk rock band. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know they went into new wave music, and then they sort of went into uh, while keeping some of the punk roots and the punk, uh, you know, sort of mentality, if you will, in terms of the lyrics and the meanings and whatnot. But moving more into new wave and into funk, they've always been into funk music, uh, and then even later into some some progressive and also world music. You know, a lot of the polyrhythmic stuff. Uh, yeah. um, especially on Remain in Light and on Fear of Music, which has Izimbra and, you know, Once in a Lifetime, Born Under Punches are all you know, really polyrhythmic songs. So, like, you know, it kind of makes sense that he would be a mover and a dancer, but still, essentially, as a rock and roll musician, super cool that he was that into it, especially being a super white guy from, you know, New York City and a former right. art student. Yeah. Right, right. But, um, but, you know, you know, it's, this is also why I tell people, you know, and I told you guys now, especially that you've seen both the film and the live Broadway show, uh, if we were to, you know, sit and, and watch um, the the Demi film, uh, the Stop Making Sense, which was the, the 1984 feature film that recorded the 1983 Speaking in Tongues tour. Cool. And, you know, you'll hear a lot of the same songs. You won't hear a lot of the stuff from Memory of Utopia because some of it's really new. Yeah, you'll, know, you'll still know a crap ton of them. And for anybody that likes American Utopia, uh, for those reasons, and then some, I recommend watching Stop Making Sense if you've never seen it, because it was the first movie of its kind where a, 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 a film director um, filmed a live concert in using the same cameras and equipments that they would use to film a feature film. Right. Um, and, and the way that it was actually filmed um, and edited it's super cool. You'll dance in your seat just like you do for American Utopia. 
and you'll see him moving, you know, and I think I told you guys in the hotel room, they, you know, they play, there's an old Talking Heads song, which you probably know, maybe not my name, but it's called Life During Wartime. And it's a real upbeat, you know, get out of your seat and dance sort of song. It's a great song. And it's got this real steady beat. And Dave is just up there singing and he's just marching in place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's just marching in place. It's not, but that's dancing because he's moving. And he's moving. Right. He's letting music make him move. And, and he's performing a song. And in his brain at the time, marching. So here we go. We're, we're that's marching. what feels right. You know, and there's a lot to be said for something, I think, as simple as that. You know, in terms of concept, um, but anyways, and you guys are not allowed to watch that without us. So if you want to watch it, by the way, <laughs> is that our day, next um, uh, December movie? We'll, that we'll, we'll just keep adding David Byrne things to watch every Christmas. So it'll be like yeah. that, and then it'll be American Utopia. There'll be something else. That concert, American Utopia. It, we'll, we'll watch, yeah, we'll watch Stop Making Sense with you guys for the first time, and then for an encore performance, we'll watch American Utopia. Yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> and then by oh my god it's gonna be like 20 years down the road we're gonna have like 50 so we have this tiny desk concert on npr so we gotta add that somewhere so okay, well, the guy, especially for me and amber maybe you too as well at some point after we watch this enough we're gonna learn all the choreography and we are gonna dance it i'm so oh, fucking ready way. i'm ready to go <laughs> because i just man as as a mover and i think just really and anyone even if you don't identify as a dancer it's just you just want to do the movement with them. You just want to be a part of it. It's it just looks so fun. It's yeah. accessible. That's our personal goal. <laughs> yeah. It's everything, everything that he does feels like you can do it. Yeah. Right now, and 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 if you are a performer, you know hitting, you know, hitting one thing on a drum is not that hard. Now do it in time over and over and over and over a thousand times, right? Every night. And it's and how impossible it is. But when you're watching it, it feels accessible. You can move, you can dance, you can sing. It's not, right? It's not like watching an opera, which is very clearly a totally different level of performance. And he is a totally different level. of. I've never seen someone who looked, who was as cool and as comfortable on stage as him. Maybe a couple yeah. other people, but there was no pretend. He's not playing a character necessarily. He's cool because, he, he's, cool because he's just being himself. I mean, and he's been doing, he's been being yeah. himself for 40 years on stage in concerts and film yeah. and television. And now on Broadway, it's like, He's not missing a beat. It's new and surprising to us, but he realized when he was doing concerts, I would assume that some of the most fun you can have is just singing and dancing with your audience. And the most fun your audience can have is that. So why can't we do that on Broadway? And that's, I can't do it during Beauty and the Beast. You're an asshole. And that's and yet, absolutely. And that's yet one other reason why, in my humble opinion, David and the Talking Heads <clears throat> were so far ahead of their time. Yeah. You know? Because and not just musically, because they did play a lot of progressive music that, you know, when you listen to it, you, it doesn't sound like it was made 45 years ago. Right. Sounds, like, sounds a lot newer than that and a lot fresher than that. But also in that mentality that a punk rock musician could just be dorky. Yeah. Be himself on stage and just dance like an idiot. You know yeah, I mean? right. You're yeah. Right. Here. I mean, that concept. Uh, you know, 40 or 45 years ago was a very progressive concept.
just popping in from my porch here in Baltimore, Maryland. Do you still hear the birds chirping? They're amazing. It's a beautiful day outside. That being said, here's a couple of summer classes that we have coming up this week. Join us on July 27th at Ministry of Brewing at 7 p.m. And then for our very first brunch and brews. That's right, brunch and brews. We have an 11 o'clock a.m. class on a Sunday. So July 31st, join us at Waverly Brewing for an hour-long ballet class. And then, hey, hang out with us afterwards. You can enjoy some brews, enjoy some laughs, and get to meet a few new folks that are here in the Baltimore area or even traveling. We've had a couple of folks come from Greece at one point in time, so you never know who's going to pop on in for our beer and ballet classes. We hope to see you there. For more information, please visit our Instagram page or our website at www.amberdaniels.net slash beer and ballet. All right, folks, let's get yeah, back to this podcast. And statement. And been, think about how we're still having that conversation about be yourself, be yourself, be yourself. Life right. is more fun. And how absolutely impossible that feels for a lot of people, right? That mm. don't discover who they are until much later in life. That don't discover, like, to be, that that is such a difficult thing. And it's so easy to say to people, well, just go out and, you know, be, be whoever you are. Well, a lot of us don't have any idea after a while or something happens and we have to reevaluate that thing. And I think that's why I, I, it goes back to what, David Byrne is talking about all the time. Well, th that all of that truth that you think you can find is going to lie in the connections of other people, right? And there's, yeah. it's not worth seeing, doing, or participating in art if you're not doing it for and with other people. Yeah. Right. It's if you want to just... your childhood brain too, before you were corrupted by like all the yeah. shit of the outside world. Right. You, you know? just walk up to somebody, you want to be best friends today? And you're like, yeah. And then you just do it. Right. Yeah. And you make up stories and play. Yeah. And you guys have also been touching a little bit here on the last couple of minutes about, you know, the, the show not being um, preachy or because no. it's not, it's not preachy. It's it not preaches. It, yeah. Yeah. But it's not pretentious. It's never pretentious. And, and I think a lot of that just comes off naturally because of the way that he and the rest of the performers are as people, but there's also choices, I think, personally, that they made um, that makes it also come across as very open and honest and unpretentious. Like even just the, the, the simple decision to uh, wear the gray suits and be barefoot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's, that's purposeful, obviously. That's a choice. And David, I think, even talked about that. Uh, at one point. I remember what he said about that, actually. Please, yeah. So he was trying to figure out what he wanted to wear at, for this show, and he decided on suits because he thought everyone would look good in a suit, mm -hmm. regardless of gender or body type, right. anything like that, which is why he chose a suit. As for the color, he asked his lighting designer, he was like, I don't really care what works for you. <laughs> oh, that's so, Yes. So the lighting designer said medium gray. He said, because yeah. if you're uh, if you're wearing something too white or too bright, if I try to um, pull the lights down, if I'm trying to hide you, I won't fully be able to hide you if you're wearing something really bright. And then vice versa, if you're wearing something too dark, it'll be hard for me to feature you when I do want to. Yeah. So medium right in the middle of the road gray. So that's why it's gray. And then when he was asked why be barefoot, he was like, well, we're already wearing suits. It'd be too formal if we wore shoes. Right. <laughs> and I love and I love that there's un probably even just a lot of unintentional um, 
symbolism in gray, you know, it, we're, we're, we're living in it, in my opinion, in a time that's, that's, that's less binary than ever, which is great. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and you definitely have a lot of different, um, as she said, body types, ethnic backgrounds, skin tones, um, you know, gender mm -hmm. expressions, Mm -hmm. uh, in, in the players, you know, there's, there's a pretty good, mm -hmm. you know, variety of all that, which obviously goes without saying is fantastic. Um, so the, the fact that the gray suit for the purpose of lighting sort of unintentionally aligns with that is a, is a neat thing to me. Um, so that's, that's really cool too. Well, I'll say too, just to kind of switch and be talking about having different body types and stuff. I love that there's one part in the show where he introduces all of them and, yeah. he, uh, and he goes out of his way too to say that most of us are immigrants and we couldn't have built this country without them and there are people from oh, I don't know if I remember all of them but there's Brazil, France, Canada, um, some from the states, he immigrated from Scotland and yeah. it was just really powerful yeah. to see all of them introduce and just see this you know it's it, I think in a way what he does is kind of world music and is sort of inspired from all these other different continents and different styles and to see that represented in the cast you know it's not just I picked a bunch of New York City people and they were here and whatever like it's really um like we even met some of the cast after the show and yeah we did <laughs> to thank one of the percussionists Gustavo who is just wonderful <laughs> and tried to thank him and he was very gracious and smiled and nodded but I don't think he had any clue what we were it was saying. a little it was a little deer in headlights yeah yeah Just i more. don't think he speaks any english whatsoever so that's a really other interesting layer to this to think about that and see how incredibly connected they are in the show when i don't even think they all speak the same language so just think about it. it's like the the music and the passion and the the movement, the dancing, and the the mission of it is what brings these people together that don't even speak the same language. That blows my mind. Yeah, I would I would imagine though at that level of performance, they they most of those people probably do. Um, and, you know, because they unless you had a couple different translators in the you know during the rehearsal process, they can all talk to each other and really like be able to query. Oh, yeah. But it is, I mean, it's. How, it's just like the the Hamilton idea. Immigrants, we get the job done, right? It's it's such a it's such a nice sort of reflection across the street from or down the road from from a musical about our founding fathers. Is like here's here's here are immigrants changing the world and understanding that like what they're doing and providing is is invaluable to to not just themselves through the art, but for the for Broadway for each other for for us as the audience, it is, it's like, it's insane. It's crazy. Well, and it goes back to what David said from the very beginning of the show, which is what happens when you strip everything down. Like what's at the heart of our communication? The heart of our communication is music and gesture. Like we, we, can, we can talk to everyone regardless of, you know, religious status, nationality, gen whatever, from like, you know, a gesture or like a, a some sort of like percussionist. That's why they use percussion so much in the show. It's like, it, it's like the grounding of all of us. Um, what I was saying earlier, the, the point gets, the point gets across. Yeah. 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 So the point definitely gets across. Yeah. 
Well, y'all, we're, we're hitting about that time. <laughs> but I, I do want to ask one last question because I, I feel like this is the biggest question that's surrounding this show. And I, I use the word show in particular because that's part of the question. Do you think American Utopia, because it, it, it is on Broadway, do you think that it's a Broadway musical? And your answer could be yes or no. Also, it probably doesn't really matter. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, this is a fair question of like, is this a Broadway musical? Does it, you know, like. Yeah, to me, that's kind of like saying, is a hot dog a sandwich? <laughs> it totally is. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't care. It's good. Yeah, right. It's delicious yeah. regardless. Yeah. And I, I think the point is you could argue it either way. I think you could say yes or no, but I think really the point is that the show is challenging your perception of what things are and what things can be. You know, we just talked about how I think the set, you know, I've changed my idea and perception of what a set should be, what lighting should be, what choreography should be, what Broadway should be. You know, just because we have a certain box that we think something fits into doesn't mean that that's the only way to describe something. So I think that's what's really cool about the show is it, you know, even talking about Stop Making Sense that they did however many decades ago, that was that was innovative and breaking grounds to be the first filmed live concert. You know, that's what they do is they break the mold. And I, it's incredible to be able to witness that. So I'm going to say, yes, it's a Broadway show. And I remember... And I remembered even seeing one of the, you know, how they put quotations of people giving the show reviews in between two ellipses, you know, so they take little chunks out of, you know, you see that all the time in movies, people talking about, and of course, raving about it. And, you know, a lot of times it's a little sensational when it's for advertising and whatnot, for being honest. but, But I do recall seeing one that said something along the lines of, this may just be the way that Broadway is headed. In other words, this is probably going to inspire somebody to do something along the same lines, maybe just in terms of trying to meld together classical or sort of traditional Broadway um, with you know, rock, rock and roll music and more of a concert slash show setting, you know, sort of. Thing. And I don't obviously know if that's actually going to happen or what that would even look like if it did. But um, but it is cool that it's something that's happening potentially and that it's, you know, the idea that it's even opening some doors up is kind of neat and interesting. So, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to say, no, I don't think it's a Broadway musical Ooh. because of all of those reasons is <clears throat> because. It is, I think Broadway, I always define Broadway musicals. I mean, I think one, technically speaking, is it, I don't, again, I don't know what the seat of the, the seat count of the theater is, but I think that's how you determine Broadway stuff. Right. But I also think Broadway musical as a genre is a very fourth wall sort of experience. Even if you like, again, I'm going to use Lion King because it's just a, another one where they kind of, they go through the audience and they sort of talk to the people. You know, Cats is a good one where they jump in your lap occasionally mm-hmm. if you're in the front row. Right. But even even <laughs> then, even, even then, even then, the a Broadway musical, no matter how good it is, is a little colder than American Utopia, because there is a there's there's a huge Broadway set. There's a Broadway. It's them and you. Broadway. Yeah. 
And American Utopia, I, I almost want to call it a rock concert with theatrical elements, but it really just is a piece of performance art on Broadway that combines sort of the best of everything. So yeah. it absolutely is a Broadway musical in that they're singing, dancing, and monologuing. Um, but I think the Broadway musical, I think the Broadway musical, right, is way more defined in its storytelling than, um, than American Utopia is. American Utopia presents an idea and allows you to sort of build it however you want, where, you know, Beauty and the Beast is like, here's the theme of the musical, right? SpongeBob SquarePants, this is a musical. And American Utopia is like, no, you get to sing and dance too. So I think that that to me is where I define it a little bit. But also my question that goes into that too. So like, here's my answer. (laughs) (laughs) He's the one that's like, no, sir. But I agree, I agree with everyone. Yeah. I mean, but, but, and here's where my answer lies is like, it's the difference between theme and narrative and storyline, which Mm -hmm. is sort of what you were talking about. But also it goes into this fact that like, I cannot imagine this show without David Byrne in it or like without Chris or without any of those people. And all of those musicals that you just talked about have been redone with over so many different people over. over and over and over again. Right. Like there's this repetitious like yeah. thing within those storylines, within a musical, within Shakespeare, within all of these different stories. And, and that's why American Utopia to me is such like this revolutionized like idea of art that you're talking about, yeah. performance art. Um, I cannot imagine this show being performed by different people. I really can't. I'm sure it can happen. And like, I praise the people who try, but I I just, it's not gonna have the same impact. I don't imagine that they would with something like this. Yeah. Uh, never say never, obviously. But well, I, and to I, clarify too, we keep calling it American Utopia. The name is David Burns, American, American, American Utopia. Utopia. Right, right. Exactly, yeah, you gotta be. But if you, yeah, if you get a random, you know, somebody auditions, you put them in a suit, make them do the character of David Byrne, in David Byrne's American Utopia. That to me, it goes, now Now we switch into musical territory, like Broadway musical territory. Right, but Rebecca's bringing up a good point. It could be different said person, American Utopia. Te- like a different artist? Technically, <laughs> this could be a different artist who Taylor like West, does the, American oh Utopia. no. <laughs> but I mean, it could. I mean, maybe Taylor Swift has an American Utopia she wants to talk about, I don't know. It could, it, what, what if it's, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> so what if it turned what if it actually did turn into like a structure of like an artist has to like come up with a theme put a bunch of their music to it and then someone choreographs it like yeah. honestly god though i think you're getting like uh a magic genie in a vase yeah you can rub that magic genie up to three times and say uh whatever broadway show you love the most and whatever musical album you love the most it's like magic genie give me this you were talking about rebecca and what rebecca said. no i was just saying like rebecca's bringing up a very good point that like it's david burns american utopia yeah. and i think that's why like dave in this musical slash not musical which a lot of people are talking about yeah. it is like that that's why it's it's such a controversy is because of that it's david burns he has thought about it he is like really collaborated a lot with all of these people who've been chatting about throughout this whole podcast yeah um 
And yeah, I just, I don't know, like without the same people, I just don't know if it would be the same show. I don't think you can, I don't think you can repeat it. I can tell you this, it it is personally going to be my prayer, selfishly, that David Byrne does something else along these lines, you know, but maybe a totally different format, or if it's just a totally different idea or take on this um knowing him it will be something completely different and still challenging and groundbreaking to some degree um but i i can honestly say after this like i said earlier the man has gained my trust not that he needs it but (laughs) uh gained my trust as as a as a consumer of of fine arts that i pretty much anything that he creates his output i'll be interested in on some level yeah yeah just, it, that whole show is so satisfying it's just it, you know you you want i listen to a couple songs and all of a sudden i find myself listening to the rest of the album like because yeah, yeah, yeah i just i can't I literally can't to. stop it's like a couple other things that yeah. i listen to it's but it's difficult to not do that it's, it's a satisfying piece of art right right on if every you're still month. listening to this, why haven't you looked it up and started watching American Utopia yet? I know. Yeah. <laughs> We've been talking about it for like an hour now. Well, an hour and 21 minutes now. So like, go look it up. Go watch the movie. Well, because that's the only thing you can do now because it's done on Broadway. <laughs> oh, it's so sad. I was thinking about that that particular song because it's the closing song. You're on the road to nowhere. And it's supposed to be such like a celebratory like song. Mm-hmm. And I'm just imagining them, to, you know, they they released the live. I don't know if you, did you see it? They released the live version of them doing that tonight. Oh, no. Yeah, you need to watch it. It's a little heartbreaking. Poor Chris. The last, show, the, last, the last show was at 3 p.m. today. Yeah. 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 So we're a couple hours behind. But ugh, that that song has a whole new meaning today. But yeah. Before, before we sign off, Amber, would you care to sort of share like what maybe some specifics or maybe just generally speaking, what in this show and how from this show uh, helped inspire you in, in your, you know, degree seeking. Your thesis. In your, in thesis. Your, in your thesis, yeah. The big thing I've been writing for a little bit. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, honest to God, it's this term of invitation. Like it's this term of, of what is invitation to, I mean, me specifically, I'm a dance artist. So like, that's what I'm focusing on. And also I'm, I'm a person who really loves musical theater and dance and and theater and those two worlds combined. Um, So like the invitation to performers Um, to repeatedly do the same show over and over and over again. And we talked about this throughout the the podcast is like those performers loved every second they were on stage every second. I mean, you know, we, we talked about like Chris picking up that little teeny tiny thing. Like there's a moment where live performance changes because like, that's just live performance. Something's going to fall. Something's going to break. Something crazy is going to happen. And you just have to look at your performers around you and be like, I trust you. I I trust you to figure this out. To be present. You have to be present. Um, It's also the invitation to audience. 
which I feel like was really seen when we went to the live show. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm so thankful we went to the live show instead of me just watching the film and being like, like trusting that that's it. But then going to the live show and, and one, seeing all those folks and, and listening to those folks around us who were like, oh, this is our 20th time seeing the show. <laughs> so we're, we're just here and we're enjoying it and we hope you enjoy it too. They were so, they themselves, this show invites people who wants to invite people to see the show, mm-hmm. which is maddening to me because in, in my world of like modern dance, that's kind of unheard of. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be that selective few who goes and sees the show, who like kind who of under, it. who gets it. Um, and it, it was kind of mind boggling for me to see that, but also it was mind boggling for me to see David Byrne invite the audience to participate mm-hmm. on Broadway, on Broadway. Um, it, it's, it's a professional show where he literally said, I want burning down the house was the moment when he literally stopped everyone and said, I want you to stand up. I want you to sing. I want you to clap. I want you to go crazy. Yeah. Move. Um, move and like be with us and be part of this. Um, it was such a simplistic way of inviting. There were so many people who like did not understand the theater etiquette at all whatsoever. And me as somebody who goes to theater all the time, I did not care. Yeah. I was so happy that like everyone was just enjoying it. And, you know, that could possibly be a COVID thing where like we all haven't been together. We all, we all have not seen a show. Um, I really don't care who's sitting, if, if somebody, which somebody behind us was going maddeningly crazy. And I was a little nervous about it, mm-hmm. but I, I didn't care because we were all together finally in a space, enjoying art, enjoying like what my life's mis- mission is to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's and, one of the few, it's, I was going to say on that point, it's one of the few times in my adult life where I found myself being a complete child and not even having any thought whatsoever as to the people around me or behind me i just knew that i had to move yeah yeah you had to stand up and 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 i felt that way before but that feeling has been encumbered by the sense of obligation that i've always had to like worry about being polite Mm-hmm. you know around the people around me and not yeah, space, I, I could not help but lose all sense of that yeah and that's, times, yeah and that's something that I'm questioning right now within my thesis writing is like what the etiquette of like all of it <laughs> like the etiquette of art education the etiquette of being an arts audience member like we've gone through years of like trying to figure that out and like how, why is that so important? Like, why are these rules set? And I get it. Like there's some moments where it's like a safety thing, right? Like you don't want everybody standing up and like falling over the fucking balcony. I get it. Like that's kind of terrible and you don't want that to happen. But if you can have fun in that moment of play where it's, you're not going to get hurt. You can trust, you can trust your audience and your audience can trust the performers. There's that amount of trust within the space. And how do you build that? And I think that this show like is the beginning point of trying to figure that out of like where, where all of that trust lies within the performers, the audience member, the director, 
even like the the set designers, the lighting designers, that like there's a trust within there of like the the stuff that I'm setting now that this audience will see like in five months um, is going to resonate. It's going to make sense. And yeah, that's that's a lot of where it all lies. Well, well stated. <sighs> well, we'll see. <laughs> you can see it on HBO Max. You can see it. On HBO Max, but yeah, I recommend it. Yeah, I mean, we we totally do. Hundred <laughs> percent. And we would continue to talk about it for another like five hours, but you know, it's <clears throat> nine thirty on a Sunday evening, and I know that all of us are are hardworking folks, and mm-hmm. we we gotta head mm-hmm. off to bed. Yeah, and, pretty, and pretty shortly. Dream about American Utopia, so that we movie. so that we can earn more money save it up and spend it on David Byrne things. Yeah. <laughs> the I'm... real American YouTube. <laughs> yes. Take my money. <laughs> Take my money. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, beer and ballet fans, thanks so much for listening. Kevin and Rebecca, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with me and Ricky and chat for an hour and 28 minutes about this show. <laughs> and I'm so excited for our next adventures in New York. It's going to be great. Walk in there. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be fantastic. So, anyway, beer and ballet fans, thank you so much. Keep in touch. Um, you'll see us again in the next two weeks. That's right. A new podcast in the next two weeks. Other than that, enjoy the rest of your time. Drink a brew. Enjoy a musical. And we'll talk to you soon. Love y'all. Hey. Bye. Hey.